0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Michigan. Welcome to the show, Mike Simmons.
1: Thank you for having me, Victor. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great to have you here. So Mike, you've been at this game for a little while now. Why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey?
1: I'm an investor here in Michigan, started 12 years ago when everything sort of crashed locally for us here and kind of stumbled through it, figured out how it was how you know this whole thing was done here in Michigan. And uh, prior to that, I was in the automotive industry, which a lot of people are in Michigan and just wasn't satisfied. Kind of the same old story. A lot of people have that. They don't love their, their nine to five job, but I really decided I was going to do something about it. I'm not the kind of person that likes to complain without taking action. So I complained for enough years and then until I finally decided I was going to do something about it, found real estate, Fell in love with it. I spent about five years, which is, is by the way, way too long. I, I counsel people against waiting five years to do something you know you really want to do that's going to make you happy. In any event, it took me five years to really kind of get the courage and feel like I had enough knowledge to go out there and, and take action. And uh, I wish I had those five years back, to be honest with you. I, I should have started sooner, but it is what it is, right? We all have our journey. But starting five years after kind of having that desire initially, just really had this, I had this built up energy and built up desire to make it happen. So once I took the plunge, and for me, it was house flipping. When I started flipping houses, after the first one I did, I was on fire. I was all in. I was totally intoxicated by the idea of running a business and being able to control my own destiny. And that's what I did 12 years ago. And and now I'm here.
0: I love that. And certainly the market conditions were such that you really stepped in at what was an opportunity of a lifetime. You had so much runway to make mistakes. I'm sure you made one or two, maybe 20. (laughs) And as most people do when they're just starting, but yet the market would have been pretty forgiving at that time.
1: Yeah, it was. And, and in Michigan, I'm lucky because even at the top of the market, house prices are not what they are in a lot of other places around the world. So, you know, but but you're right. I stepped in at a great time. Didn't even know it. Honestly, I stepped in at such a great time that it not only helped me get started and gave me more of a runway the fact of the matter was I could have taken way more advantage of things had I known now what I, you know, known then what I know now, right? But that's, that's all hindsight. But yeah, I stepped in at a great time. Who knew, you know, when everyone on on TV and and on the internet, everything was screaming, real estate's falling and crashing. Like most people were getting out of real estate or thought they should because of of the media, but I got in and it turns out it was the best time ever. But people in my family and friend group were like, are you sure you should be doing this now? Like I'm, I'm watching the news and they're saying real estate prices are dropping. This is a horrible time. And it's like, no, you don't understand. For an investor, that's, that's the time. Like, you know, buy low, sell high, like stocks. It was the time to be in it. But everyone, it's counterintuitive for the masses. They, they all hear get out because prices are dropping and, and it's, all, it's all gloom and doom. But it was a great time to get in. You're right.
0: Absolutely, and here we are twelve years later, on the cusp of another opportunity that looks like it's going to be even bigger than yep. what we experienced in two thousand eight
1: yeah it yeah, it very well could be, and i'm I love it and i'm I'm actually uh, something I talk about quite frequently now is telling people what I wish I would have known 12 years ago. Like if I could go back and tell 2008 version of me some things, I could really have done some stuff that I didn't even conceive of at the time. And some of it was maybe beyond me a little bit, but some of it wasn't. Like there's absolutely things I could have done better back then that I I just didn't know. So I didn't do it. So this time I'm certainly prepared and, and I'll be sharing that message with people over the next several months until it actually happens.
0: Absolutely. So you've just written a book, Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking. Uh, It's called level jumping and you can get it on Amazon anytime. Uh, It's really, it's my story of, so I've been in this since 2012, but the reality is until about 2015, I was making some just dumb mistakes. I was I was reinventing the wheel. I really didn't understand what it meant to run a business. I was running what I lovingly and jokingly call a popsicle stand or, you know, it's a term here in the States, but I was just, I was just running like this little thing, like kids run at the end of the driveway when they're trying to sell lemonade to people. Like I just wasn't taking it seriously enough, but I thought I was, but I wasn't doing what I needed to do to make it work. So somewhere around 2015, I started surrounding myself with the right people. I, I did join a mastermind, which I hadn't previously done done, started surrounding myself with people who were farther down the path than I am and started asking them questions and trying to learn from their mistakes. And I always like to say, I really grasped finally the concept of using other people's hindsight as my foresight. So I could ask them, what did you do that moved the needle for you in the last four or five years? What did you do that really was a colossal failure that seemed like a good idea at the time? Like tell me about those experiences so I can avoid that. And I was able to take all this information from folks that were just farther down the road and apply it to my business. And my business within 12 months went from doing a deal or two a month to doing 10 to 15 deals a month on a consistent basis. If you looked at my trajectory on a, on a graph, it was just like hockey stick growth, right? I just took off and within a year, I was doing over a million dollars in revenue. And so people ask me like, "How did you? what did you do? Like same thing I asked those folks back then. What did you do? Now I get people ask me, what did you do? And I've answered the question so many times. I said, you know what? I should put this in a book. It really is interesting. And I think very helpful for people to understand what it really takes to run and scale a business. And and it's not just full of like tools and websites and apps because I think those are fine, but that's not really what it takes, right? Those come and go. But there's some core concepts that really help you get there. And that's what I cover in the book. And I can give you just a, I'll give you a flavor of that, what what it really means. So for me, one of the big ahas was hiring. There's no way you can scale your business beyond a point by yourself because there's only so many hours in the day. And you may say, well, I'm super optimized and I'm really efficient and I know all these strategies. Great. There's still It's finite. There's still an end to what you can do in a given day. Everyone has to sleep. You may be really optimized. You may not, but there's an, there's an end. So for me, building a team around me was critical. And it was also important for me to find out that as good as I thought I was at certain things within my business, I was only good at one or two things. The other things, I was just adequate. I was doing them because I had to. And when you start building a team and you plug in pieces to your team that that's their great thing, that's their superpower, that's what they're great at, you just stand back and go, my gosh, what was I doing? Like, I was so bad. And for me, that was sales. And that's a huge component of any business. And I was adequate. I was the owner, so I was super incentivized to go out there and make sales. And I was making sales but I had no perspective. I wasn't racing against another horse. So it felt like I was going fast for lack of a better metaphor, right? I was running fast until a horse that's built for sales was running next to me and blew my doors off. And I was like, wow. And I just start for me, the way I think my brain starts going, how much money did I leave on the table over the last several years? Because I was doing my own sales and I wasn't that great at it. So that's just one example, but I started learning how to hire and train and motivate people, which is a skill set you don't develop when you're a solopreneur. When you're doing everything on your own, you're wearing every hat, you get good at being an operator, you get good at being a technician, you get good in the trenches and that's great and that's necessary to get some off the ground, so to speak, to get your company off the ground. But if you wanna take it into the next stratosphere, you have to start building a team around you. And then as soon as you start building a team, you're not the person going out and making sales. You're not the person who's hiring contractors and managing that workflow. You're, you're hiring people who are doing that for you. So now you have to transfer your knowledge into somebody else. And let me tell you, that is not necessarily intuitive for everybody. And it's not a skill that you gain while you're being an operator. And the best example I can give of this, if I can real quick, Victor, I was in the automotive industry for a number of years. And the, the mistake I saw in that industry specifically, and I think it happens in other industries, is they would go into the engineering department, for example, and they would take the most talented engineer from that department and they would promote him or her to engineering manager. Now, they're not doing engineering, they're managing a team of engineers, and a lot of times it was a colossal failure because that really, really talented engineer is really good at doing the work. They're not good at managing people doing the work, and we do the same thing to ourselves in business. We assume, because we spent all this time, energy, and and effort being great at being a technician, right? We'll we'll invest in education, we'll buy books, we'll do all these things to learn how to, to get a contract, But then we don't invest that same kind of time into how do you become a great manager? How do you lead, inspire, train, motivate people? Totally different skill set that is absolutely critical for scaling and and staying uh, profitable as you scale, right? You can bring people in and have a lot of turnover. Turnover is expensive, and if you're worried about like not wasting money in your business, you better figure out how to get a handle on turnover because that's going to cost you more money than virtually any other mistake you make.
0: So I love what you said here. And what you're talking about is not just what you need to do to scale your business. You're actually talking about who you needed to become first before yep. you decided what you needed to do.
1: Yeah, 100%. There are tools and things that you can plug in to help you track numbers. And by the way, tracking your numbers way overlooked by small business owners who are so busy in the day-to-day, all they're trying to do is generate revenue, but they're not tracking what's, what's driving revenue. Like how much am I spending on marketing and how much revenue is that marketing driving? How many calls or opt-in on my forms or whatever? How many of those am I getting every day or every week, every month? And what's my cost per lead? What is my cost per contract? How many contracts does it take for me to make a certain amount of money? Or how many appointments does it take for me to get an actual contract? Like all these numbers, I'm telling you, I've talked to so many small business owners and solopreneurs and I ask them like, do you know your numbers? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, well, how much are you spending on marketing and what's your cost per lead? what's your cost per acquisition? Like what's your, what's your average contract? And they just stare at me dumbfounded because they have no idea. They know money's coming in. They know money's going out. They don't have a clue beyond anything beyond that, right? And it's a lot like flying a plane. You would not get up in a plane and then turn all the instrument panels off and close your eyes, right? Like it's crazy. But we do that in business. We get off the ground, meaning we start generating revenue, and then we don't look at any controls to know, are we gaining altitude? Are we lowering an altitude? Are we heading for a mountain? Are we heading for a building? Like what's happening? So yeah, you have to become someone different. It's not just like, what do you do like tact- tactically in your business? But it's like, how do I become an owner when previously I was a technician? They're different positions. If you, watch, if you listen to the book, Traction, which I'm, I'm a big fan of that book, I run my business on it. You got to make sure that you're driving that bus and you have the people in the seats, they're in the right seats and they're being properly motivated and aligned into your business and they have to be rowing in the same direction. And that's a whole skill set, right? It's like, hey, I'm a great, you know, soccer player. I'm great at this position in soccer. Well, now you're the soccer coach well, I can't score goals if I'm not on the field, right? You're not supposed to score goals. You're supposed to lead a team of soccer players, right? So that's the difference. Not all good soccer players make good soccer coaches or football, whatever. They don't all make good coaches. They're really great at doing it. They're not great at leading. So we do the same thing in business. We have to realize it's not necessarily something you're born with. You need to get better at it. Read books, go to seminars, whatever it is, but get better at it because that's what's going to take you to the next level and help you scale effectively.
0: When I talk with entrepreneurs and I ask them the simple question, what's the number one thing holding back scaling of your business? The answer is usually something like, well, if I had more capital or some variation on that answer to the question. So we say, okay, let's remove that barrier. Then what's the next barrier immediately behind it? Cause there absolutely is one. What's the next barrier. And in your case, what were the barriers that you encountered and how did you knock them down?
1: Yeah, there were three major ones. My, my, uh, limited beliefs on hiring i believed to hire i needed more revenue and that simply wasn't the case in fact revenue was was exactly what i was going to get if i started hiring people so sometimes you know i found for most people when they say to themselves hmm i think i might maybe need to start hiring or, or thinking about hiring somebody, chances are you're, you're late. You should have already done it. That's number one. So my belief was I needed more revenue. In fact, I just needed to be a little bit more creative outside the box thinking when it came to hiring people using commissions and things like that. So I don't have to have all this like revenue right in the beginning to pay a base salary. And that's totally doable. That was one. We talked about the other one there's three so number two is is tracking my numbers i wasn't tracking my numbers so if you don't track your numbers you really don't know where you're weak and where you're strong so so if you think of it as like this big this big instrument panel in front of you like which dials do you turn up which ones do you turn down which marketing uh, uh funnel or marketing strategy is working for you turn that up which one is not producing a high roi turn that down, right? So you can, and I track not only my company numbers, but I track individual numbers. Everybody in my company has one metric, one, that they are absolutely 100% responsible for every single week. And we make sure it's the one thing that will move the needle most for the company. And then we track that. So tracking is so critical. And then the last thing for me was creating systems and processes that are repeatable, that I can train people on, and, and making sure that those systems and processes are adhered to because prior to that, I, was, I said I was a house flipper in my, the, first, you know, the first half of my business, the years I've been in business, I was a, a pure house flipper. And whenever I got a new property under contract, I'd go out and pick out paint and I'd pick out tile, and I would go hire a contractor. It's like every time I did it was just like the first time I did it. I had nothing that I repeated. There weren't common colors that I painted houses. There weren't material skews that I always used so I knew how much they were and what to tell the contractor. I didn't hire the same contractor for every every opportunity. Once I found a good one, I would just go find a brand new one every single time. And it was like, it was crazy that I was just reinventing the wheel every single time. So for me, It was coming up with my common practices, the the things that I do every single time I do a house, and then putting those down on paper, or in some cases, you put them into a program so that people can be trained. When you bring them on, you can't just tell them, oh, it's all in my head. I'll just kind of tell you as we go. You'll constantly be involved in the day-to-day if you do that. So I had to create systems and processes that were not only adhered to and were, were straightforward, but that's something that someone could follow. So if someone got sick, right now in my company, if someone gets sick, somebody else can jump in and look at the set of, of standards that we have, and they can kind of get through that person's job until they come back. So I had no standard practices or procedures before I really started taking off as a business.
0: Well, the limiting factor in any business, it doesn't matter whether it's a business, a small business like yours and mine, or a giant business like the size of American Airlines. of the management attention goes to managing exceptions. And if the management attention is going to handling things that should be routine, then you're ultimately limiting the size that your business can be. So the, the art here is to push those standard decisions, those run of the mill day-to-day decisions that are not exceptions as far down in the organization, make them as automated as possible so that your scarce resource which is your management attention, is really confined to those handful of items that absolutely require your attention.
1: 100%. And what I find too, and I I still battle this. I'm I'm not perfect. In my company, sometimes the standard procedures are not great. So the, the, the procedures that we call standard, or this is a standard operating procedure sometimes needs to be improved because it's, it's in fact hurting us because it's not efficient or it's not clear or it's not logical. So you're always iterating too, and kind of making things better and getting a little more efficient and streamlined. So if you don't have them documented, you can't even improve, you can't improve on, on something that no one understands to begin with. Right. So you have to get on the same page so that you can get better. And that's these are, To me, these are some of the things that really hold back a business from scaling. It's these dumb little things that you just have to get in line so that you can move forward in unity. And, and kind of, I think of it like a school of fish. Like, How do these fish know when they're going to turn on a dime like they do? Like They're in such good cohesion and they're all going in the same direction they, and they all think alike. You need to think of your company like that and get as close to that school of fish as possible. So when you have to zig or zag, everyone knows what to do. It's all clear.
0: I love that. One of the things I noticed about your business, when you talk about flipping houses and you're doing a large volume, these are relatively small projects. So you have the opportunity to get what I call generational learning from one project to the next. If you had a single project, your whole company was consumed by a single project that was going to be three years in duration, you don't have the opportunity to do that generational learning from one project to the next. And you want to talk a little bit about the, the the benefit of hitting base singles versus home runs, at least as far as scaling your business is concerned.
1: Yeah. So f- you're right. You hit on a really good point that I honestly, don't people don't talk about that much. So- it's, it's data, right? It all boils down to data. It's data points. How many data points is ideal to start making really good predictive decisions? The more data points you have, the better. So in, in flipping houses, you're right. They're relatively small projects, uh, you know, considering, you know, the scope of what other people could, could get into, like those three-year projects that you talked about. So if you do a three-year project, like you're only going to maybe have a, a couple of those that you can gather data from. But for us, we're doing high volume. We're doing over a hundred deals a year. So that's a hundred data points a year that we can start using to not only get better and make better decisions in hindsight, but looking forward, the predictability model becomes so much stronger. And, and as far as marketing goes, same thing. We do a lot of marketing in our company. So that, that gives us tons and tons of data points going forward. So you know, I always tell people, they always say like, well, if I'm going to start marketing for my, for my business, like, and you're going to send out letters, for example, right? To homeowners, to distressed homeowners or people with equity, like how many letters should I send? And, And I'm like, you've never sent one letter in your life. There's no way for me to tell you. The only way we can do is kind of throw a dart, make an educated guess. And then once you send out that first batch of letters, see how many calls you get, see how many appointments that generates, see how many contracts you get from those appointments and then how much what's the value of your contract okay and then you look at all those numbers and you say i want to be i want to make a million dollars well based off of that that first set of data points we can assume that it will take you this many letters per month per year or whatever it is and then but the next month you get those calls and you get those appointments and those contracts and the numbers will change in every month your decision-making gets smarter because you have more data points. So the faster the velocity of the deal, the, the the sales cycle or whatever you want to call it, the faster that happens, the more data you're accumulating, the smarter you're going to be going forward. And I think that's what you're talking about. We could scale faster because every month we had all these data points that we could use to make decisions the following month. And then the following month, we had twice as many data points. And the month after that, we had three times as many data points. And it just, it has this, culminate or this accumulative effect, this exponential learning goes on inside of your company. And that's powerful.
0: I love that. Well, you've got an event coming up soon. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. So I only speak at one event every year. That's that's to the public and it's called Flip Hacking Live. Um, I'll be talking there and I'm going to be talking specifically, like we uh, mentioned earlier on, Uh, what I wish I could go back and tell myself when I started 12 years ago at the beginning of a downturn, which I believe, and everyone sort of agrees that I talked to, that we're heading into something similar. Could be worse, whatever, but it's going to be, something's going to happen, there's going to be a downturn, and I'm going to give a... Talk, a presentation on what I would do differently and what I wish I could tell myself if I could go back in time and do that. And there's going to be, it's going to be three days. It's all virtual. There's going to be a swag box sent out and all kinds of interactive stuff going on, breakout rooms and all this stuff. So it's going to be a lot of learning going on. And there's going to be about 10 other speakers that are going to give presentations. And by the way, all these speakers are active real estate investors. These are not professional speakers that kind of run the circuit and haven't done real estate in 12 years. These are people who are running real estate businesses right now in their markets. And we're going to talk about what we're doing, what we're doing to prepare for what's coming. And it's going to be a great event. So if anyone's interested in that, you can go to bestrealestateevent.com and you can get way more information. You can buy tickets if you're interested. They're very cheap because it's virtual. So obviously it lets us keep overhead down. But if you just go to bestrealestateevent.com, you can check it out.
0: Fantastic. And if folks want to get in touch with you directly, if they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: best way to learn more about me and to get in touch is go to juststartrealestate.com. That is my website. It's also my podcast website. So juststartrealestate.com. And you can contact me there and check out the podcast and anything else about me that you want to know.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mike, thanks for sharing your thoughts today. I love what you're doing. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Mike at juststartrealestate.com. That's juststartrealestate.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. we will talk to you again tomorrow.